Hello and welcome to Future Thinking. We are now on our sixth episode of the series and we've covered a lot of ground so far. We've heard why it doesn't make sense to hold meetings at the end of the day and why physical meetings are increasingly hard to replicate in this environment. We've looked at the future of the industry as a whole and also how the way we communicate is changing perhaps forever. However, one area we haven't dug into too deeply is fund selection itself. What shape will the job take and are younger minds changing the agenda? Well, we've tapped one of those young minds to find out. Josh Bielli works for Aviva Investors, and as you will hear, is among the youngest operators in such a high-profile position. Having featured in our 40 Under 40, he also appeared in the even more niche section of 3 Under 30. Here, Josh discusses how he got the job, his experiences so far, and keeping with that theme, what the future may hold for younger professionals in the world of fund selection. Hi, Chris. Thank you for having me. It's very kind. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, and one of the reasons we've, we've spoken in the past, is because you stand out in this industry for a good reason, mm-hmm. is that you're at the, the lower end of the age scale. You featured in our 40 under 40, and within that, you also featured in with our 3 under 30. Yeah. So you are, uh, yeah. I was going to say, a special case, but I don't think that's the exact term. But it is an interesting <laughs> place to be for somebody of your age yeah. to be in a position which I'm not going to lie an industry which is usually viewed as sort of the preserve of sure. older men so first question yeah taking it to a personal level what drew you to it what actually got you into fund selection um I think a number of things really I mean I so I, I always knew I wanted to work in financial services that was a given for me and, and I think you know my family background if you like were all they were all self-employed and so I kind of wanted to change tact a little bit and go into a more professional office-based setting, which doesn't necessarily mean financial services, but I think if you then combine it with, you know, my interest in maths and the economy and affairs and money and trading, and I think all of that kind of, you know, leads you to finance really. And, and I think, you know, at, at the time when I joined the industry, I wasn't quite sure because obviously you're relatively inexperienced at that age. You don't really know much about a lot of things at, at 21, to be sure. honest with you. And so it seemed, you know, I, I was looking at what resonated with me. And, and I think that the concept of investing for the long term was something that, that, that I could resonate, that resonated with me. And, and therefore, it was a choice between asset management and investment banking when you don't know a huge amount. And look, whilst looking at myself, I think asset management was, was definitely the side I wanted to end up in. Um, and I suppose you could say that my formative years were spent with Jupiter Asset Management in, in a market intelligence role, learning about the industry, building up my fund knowledge. Build, you know, understanding who was in the market and who isn't, etc. Um, and I think a lot of that knowledge and information really just then led me to a focal point of fund selection and hopefully with luck, ultimately PM and, uh, you know, in some capacity in the future. And so, what in a nutshell, that, that's kind of it. Well, because it seems like you have packed in quite a lot in an already quite quick career because I imagine if you went the university route and the graduate route as well, when did you actually yeah. get yeah. into an asset manager? So I think I was um, I was 22 when I joined Jupiter, and I was there for just under five years. Um, so I mean, I had I'd had a year out, and then three years at university, like like most people. Um, but yeah, I mean, my first role at Jupiter was in finance, believe it or not, which is totally unrelated in many senses. Sure. But also gave me a good understanding of of that side of of a fund of a fund house, effectively, which is all important. You know, that, that these are all important things, which then later on factor, you know, are factors even in, in, in one's fund selection process. 
when in preparation for this, we did share some notes. I sent over a piece that I did a few years ago, which I read. Sure. It was about millennials, but I think ironically, yeah. now, everybody I spoke to for it would be outside of the, the bracket. But Even that range. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But one of the things <laughs> that was raised by one of the people was they were finding it hard yeah. to recruit like-minded people because yeah. they were getting drawn to startups. I mean, this might have been a specifically yeah. German situation, but were you ever tempted to go that route? Did you ever think, even when um, you were at Jupiter, did you think I could probably go over to somewhere like, I don't know, Revolut or Starling or all these companies that are starting up? Were you ever tempted yeah. to go that route? Um, if I'm honest, I actually wasn't. Um, and maybe that makes me a slight oddity uh, amongst my but well, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. But, um, but no, I, I wasn't ever tempted. And that's not to say that I wouldn't be in the future. But I think, you know, if you're going to join a startup, you need to really be passionate and, and have belief in whatever the product is. Of and I hadn't come across anything uh, to date that, that kind of sparks that passion in me, if you like. Um, uh, and for that reason, I didn't, you know, I wasn't really tempted by, by, the, uh, by the startup route. Having said that, though, I mean, I, this industry will need new blood and, and continues to need new blood. There is no question about that because, you know, just by the passage of time, as people drop out of the industry, you know, they need to be replaced. And, and obviously there's a process of slimming down the workforce within asset management more generally. And that's another whole topic. Um, but you still need new people to come in and, um, yeah, very happy to do that. <laughs> well, uh, it's interesting you mentioned that about the new blood because as part of one of these future thinking pieces, I spoke to the COO of a big US group and I talked about whether his hiring has changed, whether he's looking at different types of people. And he said, well, you always want to bring in good people regardless of their age, but he is being skewed towards younger people. I think I'm paraphrasing him slightly because they are sure. sort of more technologically aware and it's reflecting the clients as well. So I imagine... This is bringing on to probably a question for further down the line, but it seems like the client base is changing. So it makes sense to have the people who are exactly. also servicing them change. Are you finding that? You find yeah. you're also dealing with other millennials in the industry? Um, I mean, I think on the client side, from my own personal experience at Aviva, we're, we're relatively removed from the end client, if you okay. like. So, you know, and, and I think that's quite typical of much of the industry in, in, in some guises um so so i don't think i've seen the change come at perhaps the client level but i think it's inevitable you're going to have a lag between industry employees and the average age of uh, of your clients if you like because typically you you have money and you have accumulated wealth you know throughout what your life and, and and therefore are typically older i think that's that's not going to be anything that changes anytime uh, soon or, or indeed in the future um in terms of you know, younger people throughout the industry, if you like, yeah, for sure, I come across a few. Um, but let's just say I'm, I'm used to being one of the younger ones in the room, shall we say? Sure. Well, what's, what, are there positives and negatives to that? Because going back to that 2017 yeah. piece, and, and we did yeah. a subsequent piece called Young Guns, where we looked at the youngest people running the yeah. most amount of money. That was the portfolio manager side of things. And we spoke to sure. Tom Riley at AXA, and he mm -hmm. said that occasionally he feels like they think he's sort of the apprentice. And so they were always looking, <laughs> they partnered, I don't know if this was done um, on purpose, yeah. but he did a lot of work with Jeremy Gleason. Jeremy Gleason worked as a mentor to him. Mm -hmm. And I've yeah. heard, of, and I don't think it happened in this instance, but people would phone to get the more senior person thinking that the junior person coming up was just that, they were just a junior person. So have you ever had any experience yeah. of that or yeah. seniority questions? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't, I mean, I was, I was thinking about this and I, I haven't directly, but I obviously, I mean, I can understand the, the potential narrative, if you like, you know, and, you know I, I feel like clients, you know, they may feel that a younger person is inherently less experienced and perhaps potentially naive in, in their investment decision-making process. Um, but look, I mean, I, I think that I don't feel that that's reflective of the truth, if I'm honest with you. And I, I think that there's always a strong element of, you know, risk control, senior management, data availability. You know, there are all of these tools and, and constraints around us that allow us to make the right choices regardless of, of age, as it were. Um, and that's not to, to, to sham experience because it's incredibly important. Yeah. But I feel being young is such a disadvantage, if I'm honest with you. If anything, it's a positive because, you know, we've got the opportunity to advance um, topics and issues, um, you know, that, that perhaps are, are closer to our hearts, if you like, or, or perhaps are perceived to be more um, aware, aware of by, the, by younger people, um, be that climate change or ESG issues. And, and I'm just picking a couple here. No, of um, course. Very important ones. But um, so, no, and also I think, you know, having a younger people come in, you know, from my experience, it's been an opportunity to have a fresh pair of eyes at, at what can in some instances be a relatively static asset allocation um, or some perhaps some lethargy that's been that's been that's accreted into the investment process over time because there's been no change in eyes that are looking at it. And that's no again, it's not a criticism, but it's just an opportunity. So I mean I, I'm hoping it's a positive rather than a negative. I think so. And I mean the more we are seeing sort of the industry turn a lens on itself and look at its composition. I mean, we've done a lot of work on female representation. We've started to do more on sort of different ethnicity as well. And the common yeah. theme seems to be from academic papers that the more diverse backgrounds, be that age, ethnicity, religion, sex, yeah. whatever it may be, the more yeah. rounded approach yeah. you're going to have. So it makes sense that you would have a millennial view would help inform what could be a deeply entrenched view held by six people of the same age, same school, same background. Correct. Yeah, I, I would completely, completely agree with that. And, 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 and even build on that a little bit by just saying that, you know, because ultimately fund selectors are just people like anybody else. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, it's inevitable that their biases will filter into their decision making process. And obviously, as I say, there are controls out there to try and stop that where, where appropriate. But yeah, I think it's inevitable in some senses. And, and you know, as I say, if, if you are perhaps more have you brought in more to the climate change story then it's inevitable that you perhaps would look inherently for funds that you know have a have a spin of that nature or are genuinely interested in in, in, the, in that theme um as an example well, i asked this question um at a round table i think i put it in the notes that we discussed um sure. about the millennial mindset i mean it, it stood out to yeah. me because i asked it and um ian elwood at barclay said he asked his team what they thought was the millennial mindset and two of them said we're not millennials and they were actually Gen Z, <laughs> and that was showing how things are progressing now. So it seems like yeah. uh, the millennial generation is quite a, a condensed generation if there's already Gen Z coming up behind it. I think that's perhaps yeah, a different exactly. point. But he, the, one of the points it's the passage made, of time. <laughs> yeah, the passage of time. Exactly. I should probably get over the fact that we do have the movement of time. But um, one thing that did stand out, and this was across the board of the people that I was chatting with, was there is a greater level of immediacy among millennials do you see yeah. that in yourself yeah. either personally or professionally so, do, you, do you expect things to be done now so I, uh, I i took a little bit of umbrage with this actually i have to say and so okay. I, I, I thinking about it um 
And, and I have to say, I emphatically disagree with that because, uh, you know, with, with, with that standpoint. And, you know, and, if I, and I can only look at myself, really, and, and, and give, give the truest of, of answers based on me. And, and that's that I'm definitely not kind of, you know, suckered in, if you like, by the late, latest Apple trend. I, you know, I'm, I believe I'm a pretty independent thinker, in, you know, especially in my reading and my analysis of the world around me. And, and, and all of that itself then feeds into the fund selection process, which, you know, which is my output, if you like. Um, and so, no, I, I don't believe that, 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 we are, that we need everything done now, as it were. Um, I may want that in my personal life, but that, that's a slightly different matter. Well, that seems to be where the crossover is, because I think the, the point yeah. that was made was as we move to more and more apps and, and the fact that you yeah. can just do things with a, a flick of a button, there was yeah. a worry that if that mentality shifts within investors, you'll have people yeah. moving their entire allocations very quickly. And we've just seen yeah. I mean, March was probably a poor test case because it was a global shift. But if we did have some sort yeah. of shorter, smaller event, you could see people going, well, maybe I'll just sit on my sofa while I'm watching Netflix and switch all my saving down. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. That is, that, that's, uh, that's a risk, if you like, at the client end. But I think we as investment professionals, you know, we need to just fundamentally hold on to that crucial belief that, that, that it's a long-term investment horizon and you must have consistency of clarity of thought as to why we've made investment choices in the past and and any investment choices that we want to make in the future and and really not be drawn into the rather frenetic um psyche that the market can throw off particularly in times of stress um and that's really what our training uh, and credentials and and experience if you like within the industry that's what it should yield um you know i think if if you can maintain consistency and stability throughout, you know, good periods and bad in markets, then, then actually no. Um, the fact that I might want to switch to the cheapest, you know, energy provider personally, I, you know, I think, I think they're separate, if I'm honest with you. Sure. Uh, well, you'd hope so. You'd hope people aren't doing the well, same. I would hope so, certainly. Quickly. I would certainly hope so. Correct. Yes. Looking. Uh, yeah, sorry, please continue. No, 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 go on. No, because no, I was going to, I was going to jump onto the final point, which is perhaps the biggest one. So sure. I was trying to leave enough time to, yeah, yeah. because, yeah, I mean, it is the open-ended question. Because where do you see the industry going over the next decade? I mean, that's a huge thing. Yeah. We are in 2020. Oh, We've already seen some predictions yeah. to 2030. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, there are so many. I think the ones that stand out for me that are going to be really impactful on on our industry. Um, I think there's going to be a continuation of the consolidation process. I don't feel as though the industry as a whole in, in the UK has, has fully acclimatized to a post-RDR world and what that means in terms of fee generation, um, you know, the level of abnormal profits that fund houses and wealth managers were able to make historically. Um, I don't feel that that process is fully finished um, and therefore we may see further reductions in headcount going forward. Um, and of course, in automation is another one. But again, that will impact every industry. It's not specific to, to wealth management. And again, the assumption would be that there'll be lower, there'll be lower headcount in the future. And I think these are all relatively well trodden and there's nothing new here, you know, in that thought process. But, um, but they're the ones that I would pick out. And I think also for me personally and, and hopefully professionally, the most important one is really um, following through with, with transition and climate change 
And there's a great opportunity here really for asset allocators who are uniquely positioned in many instances as guardians of such large amounts of capital um, to, to be seen to be on the right side of history if I'm quite honest with you. Um, and and I, I have to be a bit cautious here because I have quite strong personal views on this and I'm, you know, I'm cognizant not that I don't want to come across too strong here because I think it, it needs to be appropriate in all instances. Sure. But, um, but I do think that there's a great opportunity and it would be a real sadness if that was missed, um, you know, at, at any step along the way, really. Well, without generalizing, it does seem that the, the millennial selectors that I have spoken to have got climate change at ESG at the heart of what they're sure. doing or at least they're helping to drive it and i've spoken to people on the other yeah. side on the product side who are now having to meet a client demand that is that hasn't been there it hasn't exactly. been there for the last few years exactly. that's largely due to change in generation so i think yeah. that is going to change and that's going to be a big signifier of this generational shift because it is looking is looking ahead yeah. as well it's not just an interest it's a preservation and a long-term uh, sustainability question yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. And, and I totally, I would totally echo that. I mean, I think uptake has definitely accelerated in the last few years from, from what I've seen. Um, you know, it's, it's standard now. Every single fund house will have at least a page dedicated to climate or ESG within their, their standard process. Now, obviously, you get differentiations at the manager level as to the buy-in, and that's absolutely fine. And, and then that's up to us to make a choice. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the general uptake has, has broadened. Um, I think from my perspective, I'd like to see it now followed through rigorously. Uh, and, and maybe that's a case of forming it more on the cost side to companies to help, you know, with a little bit of stick as well as carrot, if you see what I mean, yep. and help them change direction. But, um, but obviously we can only, you know, we can only do so much with, with the capital that we have. And, and therefore I would, I personally would like to look to support the best examples within that space. Perfect. I think that's a positive note to finish on. Thank you very much, Josh. Thanks for taking the time. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. A great chance to catch up with Josh and to hear from someone who's likely to be leading the agenda for years to come. If you want more millennial content, then you're in luck. Our guest next time will be Luke Bars of Goldman Sachs, who works on the client portfolio management side with an expertise in millennial investment tastes. But for now, it's goodbye. Thank you. Please tune in next time for Future Thinking. Mm-hmm.